He's got a beautiful backswing. That's, oh, he got all of that one. Oh my gosh. That is amazing. Layup with an iron into the hazard. Well, that wasn't quite what I meant, you know. What is good, everybody? Welcome into the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. Sam Humphreys and Taylor Williams with you today. Woody is gone on vacation, but T-Dub, I know that it's football season and I know the Sooners are dead. It's rock bottom for the Sooners and OSU did have a win, but it's not much better for OSU this year. So in the state of Oklahoma, normally where we're talking about football, we have a lot of good golf stuff to talk about, especially off-the-course stuff that's pretty interesting, T-Dub. But let's talk about the on-the-course stuff first. We had Tony Finau and Tommy Fleetwood. Tony and Tommy, T-Dub. We just needed Henry and Jimmy, and we had the Goodfellas cast winning in professional golf this week. But let's start with Tony Finau finishing at 16 under for the Cadence Bank Houston Open. Four shots over Tyson Alexander, and we'll get to him in a second, T-Dub, but Tony Finau, I saw this stat on Friday, he shoots 62, T-Dub, and his longest putt made was 13 feet 6 inches, T-Dub. It was just a ball-striking clinic from Tony Finau this week in Houston. 100% it was, Sam. I mean, there's some of the best, really, ball-striking you'll see in, in quite some time. I believe he was .50 strokes gain approach this week. He actually gained 2.16 on the greens as well. Put gained 3.19 on the greens in the first round, 3.73 in the second, 0.75 in the third, and almost a full shot in the final round. So, you know, you mentioned earlier, Sam, that we had a lot to talk about when it comes to off-the-course stuff. And, you know, whenever I look at the, at the course playing, and I thank God that we have some stuff to talk about because on the course-wise, Tony Fino just absolutely dominated. It's the second week in a row, Sam, that we've had – Someone dominated on the PGA Tour, win by multiple shots. Russell Henley did it last week. And Mile Cobra, I mean, Fino's able to go out there. He played so good the first 63 holes that he could shoot three over on the back nine and still win by four, Sam. So, I mean, he just – he played so well early on that he could just coast it in at that point. And then we actually talked about it with Woody a little bit, I believe it was last show or two shows ago, about how hard it is to come down and finish with a big lead. And we saw that come down the stretch of Fino with some loose shots and uh, he had a, a bad three-play, I believe, on 15 but he had such a big lead, Sam, that there was no way that he was going to lose that tournament. No doubt about it. And I mentioned Tyson Alexander, son of Buddy Alexander, the legendary coach at Florida for many years. Tyson is 34 years old, and his first career top 25 is what he gets at this year's Houston Open. And it's pretty amazing story of just perseverance, uh, T-Dub, to have a 34-year-old who got through on the Corn Ferry last year and, and to have his first really high finish on the PGA Tour is really impressive. And his dad had a great quote. Buddy Alexander, the legend, says... He's kind of in the deep end with no floaties now. The good news is there's a lot of treasure if you can avoid those sharks. And he definitely did that this week. And obviously Tyson wishes that Tony Finau hadn't have played in this golf tournament. But really impressive story from Tyson Alexander. Well, it was such it was such a big difference for him too, Sam, to be able to finish solo second instead of a tight second with, uh, with Taylor. So uh, Tyson Alexander able to birdie his uh, last hole. And that definitely uh, bumped him up 
to that to that solo second, which is going to be worth a lot of FedEx points and a, a lot of money as well. So, so really good good job for him. And you look at his stats, Sam. Game one point seven nine approach this week. That was third in the field. Tony Fina, who we just raved about earlier, was fifth out of guys who made the cut. So he actually hit the ball a little bit better than, than Fina did. And, and and you're right, Sam. It's such a cool story. Been out there for a long time. Thirty four years old. Um, had some off and on starts on the PGA Tour and Corn Ferry Tour, stuff like that. But, uh, but yeah, and, and you mentioned his dad, other buddy Alexander, that longtime coach at, uh, at Florida. He's now a, a volunteer assistant coach at Auburn. But he started coaching at, at Auburn or at uh, Florida in 1993. That was the year I was born. And he coached there for 27 years. So he pretty much been coaching at Florida as long as I've been alive. Just an absolute legend in the game of college golf. And it's really cool to see uh, family ties like that continue to, to succeed. And I'll be rooting for Tyson um, coming up in, in this uh, last event uh, of the of the 2022 and even going into 2023 soon. No doubt about it. And going into 2023, I feel like Tony Finau was a guy that played really great golf last year that we didn't talk enough about, only because it happened in about a month spam where he was the hottest player on the PGA Tour. But the rest of the year, it was just above average, right? And so what do you expect from Tony Finau going into 2023? It seems like he might have the same kind of year that Scotty Scheffler had taking out the majors, right? I, I, I don't expect him to win a major right off the bat at the Masters. He definitely could. But what I'm saying is I think that he could have a really hot start of the year and, and kind of propel him to maybe a FedEx Cup. Well, Sam, I go back and look at the analytics and what's so interesting about it is I go all the way back to the Valero Texas Open, which was the week before uh, the Masters back in April. And there's only been three tournaments since then. He's played in about 18 of them. There's been only three that he's lost strokes gain on the greens. And, and that's been by far his worst area of his entire career. Looking at it, looking at it forever, he's always been around average when it comes to, to maybe gain some strokes a little bit here, maybe loses some strokes here or there some years. But his putting his last 15 to 18 events has just been so rock solid. Only one of those events he lost strokes gained approach, and only one of those events he lost strokes gained off of the tee. So I, I, I truly expect Fina to keep this streak going. How many wins will he have is a good question because he, he does have three wins in his last seven starts, but they're not really in the, mo the strongest fields. The 3M and the Rocket Mortgage were kind of in that period between the Open Championship and the uh, PJ Playoffs where a lot of guys took off. And then this week, I mean, there were some good players, obviously, Scotty Scheffler and the likes of them, but the deepness of the field wasn't there, as you'll see in some other events. So do I expect him to, to maybe win a major? That I don't know about that. I think he'll be the favorite in some of them. But I do expect him to win two or three more times, probably going into 2023. The question I have is, are they going to be one of the bigger events, like a major or the Players' Championship, or is he just going to keep dominating these smaller field events? Which isn't, There's nothing wrong with that, but uh, I do think you do need to have that extra gear to win the majors, and I'm still yet to see that from Fino. Absolutely, T-Dub. And then the guy that was in solo third place that, you know, we had three guys kind of separate themselves from the rest of the field. We have Finau at 16 under, Tyson Alexander at 12 under, and then Ben Taylor at 11 under, played his college golf at LSU, shot even par in the final round, really didn't make a move, but didn't hurt himself too much. Tell me a little bit more about Ben Taylor, uh, you know, and tell our listeners who might not know the name, especially from his great play in college golf. Yeah, so, so Ben, he's 30-year-old, basically the same age as I am. He's from England, as you mentioned, played his college golf at uh, at LSU. Been out on the tour, Corn Ferry Tour, for, for a few years now. Um, kind of back and forth here or there, that type of thing. Um, really, I believe he made his first PJ Tour start back in 2020 
and he's been been off and on. He's had his card since then. Did not have his corn fair or did not have his PJ Tour card last year. Played on the corn fair tour was able um, to bump up, and so far he's played in uh, six events so far in the 2023 season. This is by far his best finish. His best finish before this week was 25th uh, back at uh, the Fortnite Championship. But he has made five of six cuts uh, that going into this, Sam. And uh, I, I do think that he is sitting pretty to be able to hopefully get him into the top uh, 125 next year and uh, secure his uh, secure his tour card, which looks like he'll be sitting pretty. But uh, just a, a third-place finish isn't going to solidify. He's going to need some more finish, uh, high finishes in the next year, and uh, I'm rooting for him because he seems like a pretty nice guy. No doubt about it, T-Dub. And the last thing that I want to get to about this Houston Open is Scotty Scheffler, and he finished tied for ninth in the golf tournament, but we see him again losing shots on the greens for the week, and it just it baffles my mind, T-Dub, uh, that Scotty Scheffler continues to kind of lose it with the putter when he needs it the most. Well, Sam, we, we just got done talking about how Fina has been putting so well in his last, um, how many ever tour shots going all the way back to April. And I look at Scheffler going back to the Masters, Sam, and I believe it's been about 13, 14 events that he's played. And there's only three times that he's gained uh, gained strokes on the greens putting. He's lost strokes gained. And it's not even just a little bit in some of them. Majority of these tournaments, he's lost more than half a shot on the greens. One of the more uh, obvious examples was at the Tour Championship where he lost .48 on the greens and blew that huge lead that he had to Roy McIlroy on Sunday. So it's, there's definitely something wrong going on with Scotty Scheffler's putter. And as we've seen how well he was before when he was on his winning streak, Gaining at least half a shot on the, on the greens, uh, upwards over half, the, over a full shot on the greens, a lot of the events that he won. So the putter's going to definitely come down uh, to Scotty Scheffler's uh, success. And if he's not able to, to figure it out a little bit, he's playing uh, musical chairs with his putter right now going back and forth. If he's not able to figure out something that works, Sam, I think it's going to be a fairly rough year for Scheffler. It's definitely not going to be anything like we had last year. And if he doesn't improve his putting, Sam, it's going to be hard for him to, uh, to contend, and especially the big events. So uh, I, I definitely expect Scheffler to have a, a dip down in this year. And if his putting stays the same, I expect him to have a, a very, very bad year in comparison to what he's been used to. Right, but he still finished tied for ninth in the golf tournament, and I feel like we continue to see Scotty Scheffler kind of do this, T-Dub. Is it one of those things where he's going to have a bad year, or or is it just going to kind of not be as good as last year where he's not going to really be in contention on the back nine in majors? Is that what you're talking about, or do you think that we could see Scotty Scheffler maybe not even make the Tour Championship? Oh, I, I expect him to still make the Tour Championship. I'm kind of – the comparison I would think would be uh, like Colin Morikawa this year, right? It was – like he had a pretty bad year for his standards, but overall it was a fairly good year. He he didn't win at any point, but he finished second in the Genesis, fifth at the Masters, fifth at the U.S. Open, um, fifth at the FedEx St. Jude. And that's kind of what I expect to see from Scheffler because – Similar to Morikawa this last year, he had so many bad putting rounds that that's really what held him back. His ball striking really was there. He still didn't, Morikawa was speaking of here, didn't have the elite numbers that he had back in 2021. But in 2022, his irons were still great, still top five on the tour in strokes game approach. But his putting was so bad that he wasn't able to rebound from that and win at any point. And I expect that's similar to what we'll see from Scotty Scheffler. He'll contend in a lot of events. But, uh, I mean, Scheffler had that stretch where he won four times in basically a month. And, uh, and and I would if, if Sheffler's putting doesn't improve, I'd be as shocked if he won two events next year, um, let alone one, which is like we saw from uh, Morikawa this last year. I expect them to have very similar similar seasons. Uh, Morikawa's 2022 and Sheffler's 2023, I, I think, will be pretty comparable.
I would co-sign that, T-Dub. I totally agree with what you're saying on Scotty Scheffler. Let's get to the Ned Bank Golf Challenge on the European Tour, on the DP World Tour, now that it's called, uh, at Gary Player Golf Course in South Africa. Tommy Fleetwood gets the win, shooting five under in the final round, 11 under total to clip Ryan Fox by one shot, T-Dub. Tommy Fleetwood is a guy that obviously we talked a lot about during the Ryder Cup. We've talked a lot about him in majors. Is it time for Tommy Fleetwood to kind of have a breakout season and play a little bit more consistently great golf? Well, that's the thing with Fleetwood, right? It's all about the consistency. He seems to have so many really high finishes. It's hard for him to, to break through and win. It's been, I believe, three years since he won last. And the last time he won was at this very same tournament, the Ned Bank Challenge. So, that's right. And it's, uh, you know, it's a fairly good field. It's uh, This tournament's changed a lot over the years, Sam. I remember back in, at, I believe, from 2000 to 2002, this tournament, and this is back in 2000, the purses weren't near as big. The winner of this tournament got $2 million. And it was by far the biggest purse in golf. There was only about, I believe, eight or 12 players that used to play. Now it's turned into, a, a, I believe there were 76 players that played. So it got to be a, a little bit bigger field. And it's good to see Fleetwood win. Uh, we haven't talked about him much, but uh, Ryan Fox ended up bogeying the last hole to miss out on a playoff. So he had a chance um, to, to win as well. So I think he'll be really kicking himself. But Fleetwood has been playing really solid. Finished fourth at the CJ Cup, which was his last event before this. Finished uh, fourth back at the Open, fourth at the uh, Genesis Scottish Open. So, yeah, I think Fleetwood's finally starting to get a little bit figured out. Looks like there's still a little bit of streakiness there with his ball striking, but uh, it's if if before streakiness was 50-50, now streakiness is about 75-25, where 75% of the time he'll have a good ball striking week compared to the 25 where he has bad. So, so yeah, if he can get that up to maybe even 85%, I think he's going to be even more contention. But I believe he moved up to, what, 25th in the world with this win. So, uh, so yeah, Fleetwood's looking pretty, and um, he's just another one of those guys to where he's going to be in contention a lot of events, but uh, is he going to be able to get that breakthrough win in, in a major championship or even on the P.J. Turson, which he's yet to win, which is uh, still blows my mind to this day that he hasn't won over here. No doubt about it, T-Dub. And we've heard a lot about Liv being an exhibition. Well, just, you know, going based off the stats, T-Dub, another week and another couple top tens for Liv guys on the DP World Tour. Richard Bland tied for eighth at five under. And Brandon Grace, T-Dub, he was sitting there eight under to start the final round, shoots three over in the final round for a tied for eight, tied with Richard Bland there at five under par for the tournament. I mean, T-Dub, it, it just continues to baffle me when people say that it's an exhibition when we have guys consistently finishing in top tens on the European tour. No, I think we're, we're past that point, Sam. It's not no damn exhibition as we've seen. You get great play out there, and Brandon Grace had a great chance to win this tournament. He just had an absolutely horrible Sunday. He had uh, four through, through 13 holes, he had four bogeys and only one birdie. So he, he just kind of shot himself out of the tournament um, pretty early on and then needed a, a very low back nine. He to shoot, what, four under on the back nine to get into a playoff, and he shot uh, two over. So, so yeah, no, but no, we're past the point of, of it being uh, an exhibition and that type of thing. But, uh, but yeah, it's good to see those guys play well as well because I'm just tired of hearing all the, all the BS that's been thrown their way. And, uh, you know, hopefully they didn't get bombarded with uh, horrible media stuff down at the tournament, which I don't think we did. I think we're past that point as well. So it's a, it's a good thing to see. And, uh, you know, the Ned Bank, as I mentioned earlier, you said that big purse. It's one of my – 
more interesting tournaments of the year. It actually used to be even later in the year. I think it used to happen in December. It was kind of a cool, uh, cool golf channel event when nothing else in the world of golf was going on. So they've kind of changed it up a little bit since now it's a DP World Tour. It used to just be kind of its own deal, or maybe just on the Sunshine Tour. I think the first year they ever had this tournament, Sam, there was it was a five person contest, and it was. Seve, Johnny Miller, Lee Trevino, Jack Nicholas, and I want to say Gary Player were the five players that played back in 1981. Exactly. And, and in 1981, the winner of those five got a, a million-dollar purse or a million-dollar winning prize. So wow. it's uh, there's a unique history that goes on with the Ned Bank Golf Challenge, and uh, it's really cool. And the Gary Player Country Club they played on was on one of the old uh, Tiger Woods video games. I can't remember which one it was, but it's a really cool golf course. We don't have too much live news to talk about today, but we did have one big thing, T-Dub, and that was Sergio's charity event. I don't know if you saw this. At Sergio's charity event, he had damn near every live guy, Patrick Reed, Taylor Gooch, Brooks Kepka, Carlos Ortiz, Henrik Stinson, Abe Answer. I could go down the list. Chikara, uh, and Chikara has his arm in this picture around one guy, the only guy that is not on the live, not signed to live yet, as we know of, uh, and that's Mito Pereira. Mito Pereira shows up to Sergio's charity event with every single live guy. Uh, does this mean he's signed to live? To me, it definitely does. I think it's almost 100% confirmed at this point, Sam. I mean, he's literally the only player there who's not associated with live. So I don't think there's any chance... In the world that he's not going unless something just absolutely falls through, maybe it's a pending contract or something, and it'll come down. But yeah, this uh, this charity thing was down in uh, in Austin, Texas, and it was cool to see a, a lot of those big names as you mentioned there. I mean, there's probably just counting off the picture, there's probably 20 live guys there that that are that are there uh, helping out. So that's a, a super cool thing to see. It's another aspect uh, to grow the game, and I think it's another example of showing that. Just because these live guys are taking big checks doesn't mean they don't want to still give back to golf and make it a better game. So it's uh, it's something that's really beautiful to see. And in a fun way, it's, it's interesting. You would think that Sergio would know this, right, to not post this picture if the news hadn't been confirmed. But uh, it, it has to be coming out soon, doesn't it, Sam? That's the only explanation for this. I think it absolutely does. And there's been too many rumors around. And the one thing that it makes me think – is the rumors that we've been hearing are Mito Pereira, Patrick Cantlay, and Xander Shoffley. Now, the Mito Pereira thing seems like it has legs to me, T-Dub, and we haven't heard a denial from Patrick Cantlay or Xander Shoffley, and this is three weeks since we heard the rumor kind of resurface, right? And so every single day that this goes by, Cantlay and Shoffley just continue to go higher and higher up in percentage for me that they're going to go to live, right? Well, see, I was reading, I've read a couple reports over the last week. I don't think it was Shoffley coming out and officially doing it. I haven't seen anything on this on Twitter, but it seemed like there's been a lot of reports saying that Shoffley is definitely going to stay on the PJ Tour, and he That's affirmed his loyalty to it. But I, but but I so, haven't heard so, it straight from the source, right? Okay, so here, here's uh, here's an article on EssentiallySports.com. Xander Shoffley recently made a noble announcement, and his commitment to the PGA Tour are truly something that strikes a chord in the hearts of most followers. So I, I don't know. Maybe I need to scroll through and, and uh, see exactly what what he said to to solidify that he was staying on the PGA Tour. But it seemed like just, just from all the news that has been reported, that Shoffley is for sure staying on the PGA Tour, which is something that's happened uh, twice in the last three months. So uh, you definitely know Liv definitely wants him, but uh, it seems like over the last uh, couple of days or so that uh, that Shoffley is staying on the PJ Tour. 
You know, back in the summertime, we heard rumors where Xander was going, and he kind of shut him down. I, I think it was Dylan Deethier that said, uh, you know, ask Xander Shoffley, are you going to live? And he basically said, no, I want to play against the best players in the world right now. But he didn't necessarily slam the door on the idea. Do you think that that's kind of what's going on right now with Xander, where he doesn't want to necessarily burn the bridge with live, uh, but he's not necessarily willing to commit just yet. Yeah, it seems like the majority of the reports that are coming out are from a gentleman named Brian Wacker. He's a writer for the New York Post. That's where it seems like a lot of this stuff is coming from. So I guess in all aspects, it's kind of similar to what happened with the initial Guardian report a couple weeks ago where where he said that the uh, that the uh, live guys were going to go, Cantlay, Shoffley, Pereira, and, and Peters. And now it just seems like that there's another report saying that, that he's not going to go. And uh, I, there's not, like I said, there's nothing on Xander Shoffley's Twitter. There's nothing he personally put out. So maybe there still are some, some talkings going on. But uh, it is interesting to just see how this news keeps flying around, right, and uh, what eventually is going to happen. Because as the initial Guardian report, it looks like Pereira's essentially confirmed with the, with the Sergio pictures we just – talked about so yeah it's uh, a lot of moving parts right now and uh, until i get something specifically from shopley and cantley saying they're not going to go to live i think the door is still partially open for sure the door is definitely still open to me t-dub all right let's go ahead and take a break here on the 73rd hole but before we do that please go visit our friends at quail creek bank they've been in business for over 50 years and when you come to their branch their seasoned bankers know you by name and will give you the financial guidance that you need to achieve your goals go visit our friends at quail creek bank in oklahoma city t-dub on the other side of the break we have a lot of stuff to get into we had signing day over the past week for ou and osu we will update you on that and much much more here on the 73rd hole the official podcast of golf oklahoma when something the size of a golf ball hits your roof you need to call mccray roofing mccray roofing is oklahoma's designer roofing service specialist for years jeff mccray and the experienced team at mccray roofing and exteriors have served fellow oklahomans by helping them with their roofing needs McRae Roofing uses only top quality materials and professional crews to make sure that each job is done right so it will give you the years of service, security, and protection you need from the unpredictable Oklahoma weather. McRae Roofing offers residential and commercial roofing, ventilation services, and custom copper designs. McRae Roofing is dedicated to exceeding the homeowner's expectations. It's not just a roof. It is your home's crowning glory. Call McRae Roofing today at 405-692-4000. That's 405-692-4000. Make sure to also visit their website at mccrayroofing.com. That's M-C-R-A-Y roofing.com. Don't get caught with a leaking roof. Contact McCray Roofing for your free inspection today. And we are back rolling along here on the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. And go get all of your local golf news from golfoklahoma.org. 
bunch of stories this week, whether it be on signing day or high school golf or college golf or professional golf. It's all right there on golfoklahoma.org, T-Dub. There was one little tidbit from the Houston Open that we have to mention because I've never seen anything like this in my history of playing or watching competitive golf, T-Dub. We had Mark Hubbard get disqualified after the second round of the Houston Open due to violation rule 4-1C, which means that he basically knowingly put a 15th club in the bag at the turn. And uh, Dan Rappaport reports uh, that from a tour official that he started with a Callaway driver that wasn't spinning enough, missing a lot of fairways, so thinking that it would be a two-stroke penalty for each use of a different driver, he knowingly switched to a ping driver at the turn. T-Dub, have you ever been so rock bottom that you had to just knowingly take a two-shot penalty? That is the dumbest excuse for this to me of all time because, I mean... Little did he know that it's a disqualification. However, I mean, he was hitting it so bad that he was willing to take a two-shot penalty for every t- every single time that he used that driver. <laughs> I mean, Sam, this is one of the most ridiculous stories I've heard from a PJ Tour event, like, ever, because, like, 15 clubs in the bag, that happens, but it's never intentional, right? The, the most famous example is... Uh, Ian Wilsnam at the uh, the Open Championship at Royal Lithum <laughs> St. Anne's where he had two drivers in the bag. The reason they didn't catch is because the first one was a par three. So he started one hole, so he had a two-shot penalty with, uh, with 15 clubs. So, yeah, he didn't knowingly have 15 clubs. So when I saw the article, I saw a player disqualified for knowingly having 15 clubs. I said, what in the hell happened here? And, and reading a little bit more into the story, it makes some more sense. Apparently, Hubbard knew he was going to miss the cut, knew he didn't have a chance. So it seemed like he was putting a new driver in to maybe test some things out, maybe for this next week, maybe figure out that's the driver he wants to use. But uh, but no, Sam, in, in all my days of playing golf and watching golf, as you mentioned earlier, I've never seen in a professional tournament someone go get a new club out of their bag or out of their car block or wherever the hell it is <laughs> and, and just put it in the bag. It's absolutely unbelievable. It would be the same as, if he putted like shit for nine holes, we ain't got a new putter at the turn. It's like that that doesn't happen. Like that's not supposed to be a thing, Sam. I've never been down that bad to where I would be willing to take a two shot penalty every time I use that driver. Number one, why not just hit the three wood on the back nine? Now I understand now that you said that he was just practicing with this other driver, but just take thirty minutes after you're done playing and go hit that driver on the range, right? I mean, am I crazy that this is this has to to be one of the more crazy uh, stories slash disqualifications of all time. I mean, I just, I, let alone a PGA tournament, I couldn't imagine playing even in just a, an individual tournament here in Oklahoma, right? Or could you imagine if you're playing the Oklahoma Open and you got done with Oak, at Oak Trees number nine and when you're on your way to number 10T through the parking lot, you just stopped and grabbed a new driver <laughs> or a new putter or, or grabbed a 60, a, like you don't have a 64 degree wedge, you only have a 60, so you grab a 64 degree or you grab a two iron or something. Like like that doesn't happen. Like that, that's even at the lower levels of golf, that's not supposed to be a thing. It's, it's absolutely unbelievable. And I don't have, I don't know any way possible that, that Hubbard could have stepped up on a tee box with that driver and made a good committed swing to it. There's no way because you know you're just doing something stupid. There's no way he could have hit it good once he did that. 
Absolutely hilarious, T Dev. I've never heard anything like that, but respect to Mark Hubbard, who was like, you know what? I'm going to make double on this hole, but I don't care. I'm going to practice with this driver regardless. <laughs> so uh, he just went full YOLO on well, it, as Dan Rappaport well, said. Well, well, Mark Hubbard is the guy notorious for. I can't remember the exact tournament it was, but he had a, an, about a 12 footer on the last hole. Um, on Friday, knew he was going to miss the cut. And he pretty much went down and grabbed his putter almost on the putter head of the steel and, and putted it. looked like a complete idiot. For anyone who wants to to see this video, just put Mark Herbert in on YouTube and you'll probably find it. So it's it's pretty clear that Hubbard really doesn't give a crap about many things when it comes to golf. So uh could be an inspiration for some, could be a little upsetting for some. Just kind of depends on where you lean on the, on the traditions of golf, as I guess they would call it. Speaking of the traditions of golf, T-Dub, NBC makes a big move. Roger Maltby and Gary Koch are out. They are fired at NBC. The network, quote, looks to make a refreshed look to its golf coverage. Uh, T-Dub, I've been hard on NBC and the golf channel through a lot of things, especially through all this live stuff. Why in the world would you take the most entertaining guy, Roger Maltby, on your coverage, off of your coverage? Number one, it doesn't matter that he's old or or older than us, right? He was entertaining. Young people loved him. Old people loved him. He was refreshing to listen to. Bringing some young person on that no one really knows about, that no one really cares about, is not going to refresh your golf coverage. Leave Roger Maltby on. I feel like NBC makes another terrible move by firing Roger Maltby and Gary Koch. Gary Koch, one of the legends in golf broadcasting. Why? This is not what was wrong with golf coverage. We Not once have I ever been like, you know, Gary Koch and Roger Maltby are the problem. That's why I don't watch NBC, right? I've never said that. That's That's just absolutely ludicrous to me. Yeah, Sam, I couldn't agree more. I think that Roger Maltby is one of the one of the best guys in, in golf coverage overall, not even just for NBC. He was absolutely spectacular. I remember at um, at the senior PGA Championship, not at the official PGA, but the senior because NBC had that coverage. Uh, Roger Maltby w- was out of the course, and you know I had some friends who who would who actually worked for him because they were like spotters to give uh, Maltby the numbers and stuff like that, and. They just talked about how nice of a guy he was, how funny he was, how how cool he was to people who had no no business in the industry or anything like that, just pretty much volunteering their time. It was just so nice to him and such a great guy. Um, the only thing I can think of, Sam, was maybe there were some uh, contractual disagreements. Maybe Malpe and Coke wanted more money than NBC was wanting to give. I never saw that, so I'm not going to say it, but that would be the only reason that I wouldn't keep those two. And even if they did want more money, I would have given it to them because they're, those two are a hell of a lot better than Paul Azinger is. So it's like I feel like they made cuts, and they're making cuts in all the wrong places, Sam. It's, I couldn't agree with more with what you said earlier. I think it's an absolute abomination. I sure hope Malpe, if he wants to do it, he, he's like the type of guy may, he may just want to retire. But I love hearing him uh, on Saturdays and Sundays, so I really hope that he finds a job um, somewhere else, maybe on the, on the live broadcast, even well, with the, with Faraday, something like that. That's exactly what I was going to bring up. You know, you hit it spot on. I don't know if he is wanting to retire. However, 
you know, it doesn't seem like it with, you know, NBC coming out saying they want to refresh their golf coverage, you know, and so if I'm Roger Maltby and I still want to do this, it's an obvious, you know, within the first five minutes of getting fired at NBC, I would have given David Faraday a call and say, let's, let's bring the old crew back together, right, T-Dub? I, I, couldn't, I couldn't be more happy to listen to that. I feel like the worst part of the live broadcasts have been the on-course people and get Roger Maltby in there to go back and forth with David Faraday. I think that would be awesome. It would be absolutely electric, Sam. It truly would be. And, and the thing that I want to know is, like, yes, NBC's trying to say that they, they want to revamp their, their coverage. Well, in what ways are we going to do that? I figure that could be done more through a presentation uh, scheme as opposed to just firing people and trying to get new faces in there because, I mean, I don't know. Are there any of these young guys who, who are going to come out and do well? I know this isn't NBC. This is CBS, but – we already have uh, – we're replacing Nick Faldo with Trevor Immelman. I expect that to be yeah. a, a fairly big decline there. So, I don't know, Sam. It seems like the golf maybe, coverage maybe overall is – Maybe Smiley Kaufman, who we saw at the PGA. Uh, a lot of people liked listening yeah, but he, to him. But he's nowhere – He's nowhere close as good as Maltby is. I'm not saying that. The question you asked me was, you know, who are they going to go with next, though? So, I, no, I totally agree with you that Maltby was not the issue whatsoever with the coverage of golf on the Golf Channel and and, and NBC. Right, T-Dub? Oh, I I think Maltby made the coverage a lot better. He was definitely the the catalyst, in my opinion, after after Azinger came on. And it's like I said, Azinger, we, we ripped on him numerous times. And... I'll say this. Maybe, who knows, maybe MSC will come out and they'll get this absolute astonishing crew of people that we never even thought of they could. I don't even know someone off the top of my head. Someone we wouldn't even think of, and maybe they're just going to have the best broadcast of all time. But uh, I don't expect that to happen. Um, I kind of mentioned this earlier. I think it probably had more to do with money than it did with just really wanting to change because I know we keep ripping about Multi, but Gary Coke's absolutely awesome too. He, he was phenomenal at his job. So it's uh, there are going to definitely be some changes in the golf viewing landscape and I, I'm not very optimistic with the way it's going, Sam. I do expect 2023, we were talking about a lot of players earlier before the break, but when it comes to golf coverage on the start of next year, I, it's not going to be very good. It's, it's going to be a decline from what it was, and that's something that I thought would change with, with Liv and everything. I figured, and that may be what NBC's trying to do. They're trying to make it better, but I think this is a classic example of you try to make something better just by making changes. And at the end of the day, you make your product worse. That's what I expect to happen. And and that's a damn shame because the last thing the PGA Tour needs right now is their broadcast to get worse. And it looks like just on paper, that's what's going to happen. Yeah, and I mean, after Liv came about, T-Dub, it was almost like something like this was destined to happen, you know, with NBC changing something up to try to compete with Liv because it is more entertaining to watch, but that's more because of the format and the and the shotgun start and, you know, the different things that Liv is able to do because they are willing to do And the no commercials in particular. The no, the no commercials, obviously, yes, but what I'm saying is the volume of shots, even take the commercial breaks out of it, right? The volume of shots we see on the air is just night and day between Liv and the PGA Tour. It had nothing to do with the on-course broadcasting. And and by the way, I mean, I feel like young people like Roger Maltby just as much as the old people do. Maybe even more watching him interact with people, especially at that senior PGA at Southern Hills. He is a people person, and that's the type of people that should be on the air. And it's just another bad move for NBC. I feel like they've made a bunch of them lately. 
Well, and, and you talk about Malty, right? And it's the, the things you need for a good on-course commentary, in my opinion. One, you have to be knowledgeable. And the other one is you have to be somewhat funny. I mean, you have to bring some humor to it. If you're just bland and dry out there, I mean, no one's going to want to listen to that because any person can go out there and tell you a yardage number. But also, too, you could have some comedian out there, but if they don't know golf, you don't want someone saying, oh, they could be hitting a six iron, they could be hitting an eight iron. I'm not real sure here. We don't know. Like, you don't want that to happen. I thought Malpy was a perfect example of both of those. And I thought you made a perfect point earlier, Sam. I never once in my entire life watched an NBC golf broadcast and thought, man, Roger Malpy just isn't doing a very good job. We really need to <laughs> we really need to change this and get get some new guy out there uh, uh, for Malpy's spot. Never once, never even thought about crossing my mind. It was whenever I saw that come through, Sam, that news, I was astonished that uh, that NBC. I, I wasn't shocked they let people go, but the two people that let go were probably their two best people, with the exception of maybe Mike Tirico, who does everything, not just golf. So uh, it's uh, definitely a shocking move, Sam. And just as you said, it's a very questionable move, uh, to say the least. Definitely is. And T Dub, let's switch gears a second to college golf. We had signing day last week, and we got to give a big shout out to our guy from Edmond, Ryder Cowan, does sign at the University of Oklahoma. OU also signs PJ Maybank the third and Connor Henry, who is JJ Henry's son. Uh, those are the three signees that are going down to Norman. T Dub, do you have any more on the Cowboys and maybe some tidbits on the Sooners? Oh uh, yes, I do. Yeah, so just going off of here, uh, off OU's lineup, Ryder Cowan, who we've talked about numerous times on the show, uh, a good friend, absolutely stellar player, ranked twenty seventh junior in the country. And uh, P.J. Uh, Maybank, who you mentioned earlier, is the ninth-ranked junior in the country. So two absolutely astonishing recruits that OU has got there. I don't see a ranking for uh, for Connor Henry, who's mentioned J.J. Henry's son. That's pretty cool to see. I don't have his ranking in front of me, but I'm going to assume that he's a very, very solid player. And uh, scrolling down here, just uh, before I get to OSU, some of the other local guys, um, Bryant Pohill, who's a, who was a teammate of Ryder Collins at OCS, he's going uh, to Kansas State. So that's a really cool thing to see and cool to see a uh, program like that. Yeah, and uh, OCS with Brian Pohill and Ryder Cowan just making such a stellar uh, high school program out of that is really great to see. And now on uh, to OSU and the, the three guys that Alan Bratton was able to sign. They got a, a guy named Johnny Clark from uh, from Mesa, California. or I'm sorry, from Mesa, Arizona. Uh, I'm saying that wrong. He was a member of the uh, U.S. Junior President's Cup team um, back in 2022, so that was really cool to see. He's number 24th ranked junior in the country. I've got a kid named Gavin Lane from Argyle, Texas. Um, he won the 4A state title down in Texas this last year, so very, very solid player there. Um, he actually competed in the USAM as well, and he's currently ranked 13th on the junior ranking. So uh, no, a great, great two players there that Alan Bratton's got. Then even maybe in their best is uh, Preston Stout down from uh, Richardson, Texas. He is ranked number two in, uh, in Golf Week's junior golf rankings, and he was a first-team AJGA All-American. So um, both OU and OSU just keep doing what they've been doing, Sam, and just getting some absolute studs, um, stud recruits. And uh, I think this definitely solidifies the, the fact that currently we or maybe this year's maybe a little bit of an exception, but over the last five to ten years, OU and OSU have been so deep, and that's definitely going to keep continuing with, uh, with the, uh, the three total of six recruits that these schools got. Just all six of them just absolutely astonishing great players. No doubt about it, T-Dub. And you mentioned Bryant Polehill, and I got to walk with the K-State assistant coach. He's from England, but he, he's the assistant coach at K-State, T-Dub. That's going to be a great landing place for Bryant Polehill. I, I think that you know it, we've seen a lot of guys from around here go to K-State. 
K-State and have solid careers. I mean, none better than Robert Streb here from Edmond North. Um, so I, I, I feel like Brian Polhill going to K-State is a good, really good landing spot for him. We need to give that, you know, the same amount of credit as we give Ryder Cowan going to OU and, and all these OSU guys. That's a really cool story, especially to have two D1 guys come from OCS. 100%. And, you know, obviously we talk about how great Jimmy Austin and Carson Creek are, but uh, K-State's home course, it, it always gets nominated in the top five or six it of a collegiate beast. courses in the country. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, it's beast. What is it, 7,700 yards or something like that? And we know how the, the wind can blow at Manhattan, Kansas. It's just an absolute monster. So if you can't get better at your game up there, uh, you're, you're either going to quit or you're just going to get worse. So hopefully he can uh, do, do the uh, do the first and just get better. A couple of other people here want to highlight. Rhett Hughes, uh, another guy from Oklahoma, from uh, I believe from Edmond Santa Fe. He's going to go to Nebraska to play college golf, so that's pretty cool to see and uh, a girl from Duncan Jaden Greg Gregston I believe is how you pronounce her name she's going to go to Ball State and then uh, the last one I'm seeing here is uh, Lily Stanton from Jinx she is going to go play at the Division Two school in uh, in Louisville Springfield so that's uh, uh, or Illinois Springfield I mean so that's uh, that's really cool to see just so many great junior players in this state going to keep going and progressing their golf games and something too that we don't talk about much on signing day that we should is these kids are going to have a great opportunity to get an outstanding education. That's something that no matter if they want to play golf after college or not, that education is something that goes stay with them till the end of time. So uh, just like standing for these great uh, golfers and individuals um, all the way through the next four or five years. No doubt about it, T-Dub. Congrats to all the kids on signing day. T-Dub, let's end the show with something that I really didn't have on my bingo card for this week. Pat Perez going after Phil Mickelson and Tiger Woods in an interview with Golf Monthly. Uh, Do you want to start with Tiger or Phil on what Pat Perez had to say? So, you're exactly right. I did not have that on my bingo card, just both of them. Because, what was it? Was it the Phil comment that came out first? Yes. I'll go ahead and and read this quote from Pat Perez. It says, Phil did something unforgivable. And the fact that when he made this action, not only was it, and then it has a dash, and then he says he had intentions of doing it. He, He was already... And then he pauses, and then he says he knew it was going to happen before it happened. So what do you make of this? I, it, it's a pretty vague, confusing quote, but basically Phil Mickelson and Pat Perez have major beef, and then we saw Phil Mickelson block uh, Nuclear Golf, who tweeted this out. So uh, whatever it was, it must be something pretty substantial or you know, I don't, I can't really consider it a rumor. I mean, it came straight from Pat Perez, right? And there's no reason why Pat Perez should hate Phil Mickelson after all the money that, you know, Pat Perez has made through live, right? Well, that, that's the thing, right? It's like, I could expect if a PJ Tour player was saying this about Phil, but the fact that they're both on live is what's shocking to me. And obviously I don't know any, I don't have a clue as to what Pat Perez is referring to. But I know in my history uh, of dealing with uh, situations like this, it generally it comes from two things. It either comes from money or women. So I guarantee it involves one of those two things. And well, to what end of it, I'm not sure. Phil Mickelson has made Pat Perez. I think we can go with the latter. You're probably exactly right, especially with other rumors that have been said. That wouldn't be completely shocking how deep it goes. 
I'm not entirely sure and don't even really want to speculate on it. But if we do get some some news as to why there is this major beef, I'd love to to know exactly why. Just because, as you mentioned, it's such a weird situation because it seemed like Phil, even throughout everyone, has kind of been getting this, uh, you know, kind of coming back to grace a little bit. Obviously not to where he was when he won the PGA Championship. But he's nowhere near as low as he was um, back in February and March whenever all the, the news from Shipnuck um, was coming out. But, uh, but, yeah, definitely shocking. And uh, one thing about Pat Perez that I know of is that he's not going to shy away from any conflict. And if he wants to say something, he's going to say it. So I, I have more respect for Pat Perez now than I did. That's right. And uh, he also came after Tiger Woods. And this is something that I actually agree with Pat Perez on. He said, quote, Tiger Woods coming out and talking about where is the incentive to practice and play with guaranteed money? That's the stupidest, quote, shit I've ever heard in my life. That was the quote from Pat Perez. Now, T-Dub, I basically said this exact same thing considering the fact that Tiger Woods had more guaranteed money than anybody in endorsement deals throughout his entire career, and he still practiced and played harder than anybody. I was saying the exact same thing, Sam. It made no sense to me to think that Tiger could tell other people they wouldn't have motivation when Tiger, before he even stepped on the golf course of the Greater Milwaukee Open, had, what, $40 million from Nike back in 1996? So that's a lot more than $40 million is now. So he was absolutely loaded and ready to roll. And guess what? He still had motivation to go out there and win. And that's exactly what I was saying from the moment that Liv started was, just because these guys take a little bit of money going forward doesn't mean that they're not going to have motivation for the rest of their careers. And like Pat Perez said, where is the motivation? Uh, would you rather make $120,000 or would you rather make $4 million? It's literally the easiest question in the history of life. So I don't understand why people constantly say there's not this motivation to play because guess what? Even though live guys make more than PJ Tour guys are currently, PJ Tour guys still make a lot of money and they still have motivation to come out and practice too. But they think that those extra, oh, because they made five more million dollars than the PJ Tour guy did. That's the difference in not wanting to motivate and be better. It's just an absolute crock of shit. It truly is, and I completely agree with Pat Perez. As much as I love Tiger, and I, I stand by the majority of things that he said and, and done over his career, it's uh, this is not something. That's, that is one of the things that Tiger said that I do not support and I do not agree with, and I think what Pat Perez said is 120, 120% correct in uh, in this uh, in this case. Yeah, absolutely. I, I feel like it, it's pretty obvious that Tiger was wrong uh, in what he said about that. What surprised me about this is that Pat Perez is not afraid to go after Tiger Woods, of all people. I don't know if Tiger Woods is necessarily the person that you want to piss off, uh, but guys are increasingly not scared to kind of go after Tiger Woods a little bit, uh, especially the guys on Liv. I, I think it's kind of an interesting dynamic there, T-Dub. Well, uh, we've kind of seen this anyway, right? With, uh, like, Bryson and Tiger before Bryson went to Liv. They were, they were pretty good friends. It seemed like, it seemed like Tiger was trying to maybe not necessarily learn from Bryson, but pick up a couple of things on the analytics and stuff like that. Maybe he could learn something, make his game better. And Bryson even said since he went to live, him and Tiger haven't spoken. So I think that anyone who goes to live is going to piss Tiger off anyway. So you might as well just keep it rolling and say what you believe in. That's what Pat Perez is doing. He's, he's not shying away from, from his beliefs and he's going to stick true to his guns. And I support that, especially in today's day and age, Sam, it's so easy to cower up in the corner like a little dog and, and just let everyone dictate what you say and believe. So I, I definitely uh, have some praise uh, for Pat Perez. And uh, I, I hope that he has a, as good of a year in 2023 as he did in 2022, because even though he didn't play very well, he made a lot of money 
and uh, I definitely want him to keep doing that uh, going forward. And I hope he keeps uh, keeps talking to uh, to podcasts and to Golf Monthly and everyone else they talk to because it seems like the last couple times we've talked to him, we've got some pretty good, interesting stuff to to talk about ourselves. And I want to say one thing about Tiger Woods as well. It's the fact that if I was Tiger Woods, I'd probably be doing and saying the exact same things as Tiger Woods has been doing and saying, right? It's not like I hate Tiger Woods or anything all of a sudden. I absolutely love Tiger Woods and everything that he has done and and, and everything that he really is doing for the game of golf. He's trying to help the game of golf, but he's also looking out for himself first. And I think a lot of people kind of have a haze where they just think that Tiger Woods is the end-all be-all when he's really doing the same thing that everybody else is doing, right? Well, you know, Sam, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if you're a golfer, an athlete, a politician, a mechanic. It doesn't matter what it is. Whatever you do, you're going to have some basis on whatever decisions benefit you the most, right? Like, no one goes in and says, oh, well, I'm going to be the only one who gets screwed in this situation, but it's going to make everyone else better. I'll do it. Like, no one does that, even though it's for the greater good. That, that never happens. So for, for to think that it's going to happen for Tiger Woods in golf, it's, that's not the case. So, yes, Tiger is definitely doing what is going to be best for him, his bank account, and, and at this point, too, also for Charlie and his future. So even though I don't necessarily agree with him, who knows how much Tiger actually agrees with him. I know that he's an, an absolute golf traditionalist um, by almost every stretch of the of, of the measure of the measure so it's uh it's interesting thing there so there may be some some conflict in tiger's own head going there but uh but no at the end of the day he's doing things that he believes will help himself but also too there is a part of him that he's doing what he thinks is right and he probably sees a lot of things that are wrong with live just off of like i mentioned earlier the traditionalist standpoint so is he doing this 100 percent for money absolutely not but uh it's definitely there and anyone who thinks that tiger's only saying the things he are just for the betterment of golf is absolutely fooling themselves, as they would be with any other person who speaks about anything. No doubt about it, T-Dub. Let's end the show with something a little bit fun here. I don't know if you saw this. Monday, Q tweeted it out that the Asian Tour Qualifying School that is going on in Arizona right now released this to the players. It said players must ensure that the raking of any bunker is done properly. It is a player's responsibility that no bunker is left unraked or badly raked. Failure to rake a bunker properly is an automatic fine of $300, T-Dub. Is there anything else in the game of golf that you would like to see fined in the game of golf? I I could think of a couple. Number one being slow play. I wish they would just start fining guys dollars every second that they're over time. I mean, if Mark Harvard shouldn't get fined for deliberately playing with 15 clubs, I don't know what else you'd get fined for. Is that not number one on the damn list? I mean, seriously, I, I feel like at any point, if you blatantly cheat, that, that should definitely be something. And, you know, the thing that I, I take off of this, Sam, of that, that story that you're talking about, the $300, it's, there had to have been a situation last year or two years ago where there was a poorly ranked bunker coming down the stretch and someone missed it by just a no shot or two. About it. I, and, I thought the and they exact were the same thing. Like, like, this, like you, I've never played in a tournament where they've said that ever. So they had to be something that, that definitely made that situation come to light because, yeah, yeah, you don't see that very often, but I do agree with it. I do think that it, that it's something that, that should happen because 
it's but it's also the same aspect that we talk about, Sam, of of if your ball ends up in a div in the fairway, right? Where you're not playing the same course as someone played at eight AM as you are at noon, right? But the difference is that I get that the bunker is, is a hazard compared to the, the fairway being the fairway, but at the same time, everyone I feel like should play the same course that everyone else does. That's one of the benefits that, that people have talked about when going to live with the shotgun start is the greens are relatively the same when it comes to bumpiness. So it's uh it's it's definitely something I think that it probably should at least on the PJ tour I think that it should be fine because a caddy should be able to rake a damn bunker pretty well especially with how uh, great the sand is out there and a lot of times you see in the qualifying school as well not every single person has a caddy so if you have a caddy that should definitely be something that should be taken care of and players should know how, how to rake a bunker too so I absolutely agree with it Sam and uh, I'll be interested to see if anyone did get fined uh, the three hundred dollars I would highly doubt it after the uh, the notice was made. Well, and I think that like on the Corn Ferry Tour, the PGA Tour, live. If if someone rakes a bunker improperly or doesn't rake a bunker, if a caddy, you know, is either bad at it or doing it on purpose, I feel like the peer pressure of your reputation, you know, kind of takes care of that, right? But in a qualifier, a one one off deal like this, you have to kind of give a penalty or something if if you think that some caddy is out there to get the rest of the field, right? Well, and also, too, qualifying school is is a classic example. It's similar to what the uh, the story that Woody was telling about when he was on the PGA Tour, and the guy was constantly just walking all around the hole right. trying to get in people's minds and stuff. And it's similar to that, where it's like, and in Q school, it's even more because you're playing against other people for what you're going to do for the rest for the rest of the year, right? Whatever, if you're going to make it on the tour or not. So it's there's a lot of incentive there to to not rake a bunker, to leave the course in the absolute shittiest shape that you can for everyone behind you. And I think it's an absolute shame, and I hope that it doesn't happen. And uh, like I mentioned, like you said earlier, Sam, that's a really good point that your reputation on the PJ Tour is going to hold itself because after you don't rake a bunker good once for the caddy, they're going to go up to him and say, hey, listen, like, dude, you messed up pretty big. Like, we need to make sure this doesn't happen again. Yeah. And if they do it again, there's going to be some serious uh, ramifications, I believe. So it's, uh, yeah, it's something that most of the time you don't think about this kind of stuff when you're, you're thinking about golf terms, but it's something that exists and is there. And, uh, and it's something, too, that needs to not be overstated. If you end up in a bunker, the difference between it right, being right perfectly and being right even halfway is a major difference, especially if it's like a short-sighted shot or anything like that. Or if you're not even – like if you're on a downslope in particular, it would have a major, major impact. So this is something that, I, you know, people listening may think, oh, well, this seems like kind of stupid. It's not that big a deal. It's an extremely huge deal, especially when it comes to like the final couple of rounds uh, coming down the stretch for guys who are going to get their cards. So, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty big deal, and uh, I hope that – that people raking bunkers can understand that you need to make this stuff look pretty nice for the people behind you. It's just, it's a courtesy thing at that point, is it not, Sam? No, 100%. I, I kind of like this fine. I wish it would be, you know, implemented. I don't know if you could do it to college golfers, but you see it all the time that bunkers in college golf are just raked horribly, right? And it's a, it's almost, you know, if you hit it in one of those spots where it's not raked properly, it's almost a shot penalty, right? <laughs> you know? And so I think that, you know, it's definitely a good thing that they're looking at this. T-Doublets in the show with something. Obviously, we have some snow on the way here in Oklahoma City, what are some things that our listeners, our amateurs can do to get better over the winter time inside the house, uh, you know, to kind of improve their golf games? I know that a lot of teachers such as Stan Ball especially work with mirrors and not necessarily video, but just getting in front of a mirror and really seeing uh, your positions and different things you can do like that. And you can also work on some short game things inside the house, right? 
I think the mirror works, Sam, is 100% the best way to go when it comes to just getting your swing technically where you need it to be because just initially set up, and it depends on, you know, if you have a short roof or something like that, but you can pretty much find an area to where you can make a full swing and get all the way through that kind of thing. Maybe you have to move a couch or so over here or there, but you, you, you get a mirror and you see where you're at it set up, and you want to be able to see your full body, obviously. So you see where your hand position is. You see where your alignment is. Make sure your shoulders and everything. Go back to the fundamentals. It's what Jack Nicholas said every single year on the PJ Tour. At the start of the year, he started working on fundamentals, just going back to grip, ball placement, alignment, um, where his shoulders were, were at, making sure nothing was open or closed. It's, and that's one of the best players of all time right there, Sam. So it's the amateur needs to learn that the fundamentals are the most important thing. And then even with the mirror work, you could hold yourself in, in a halfway back position, hold your position at the top, See, make sure your clubs come down a good path. So I 100% agree that mirror work is the way to go. And you can even do it with uh, with the putting and short game as well, just seeing that you're, that you're hinging your wrist right and you're not flipping through. The mirror work is extremely great, great feedback. And then even add on the top of that, I think when it's cold like this and, and you want to get better for next, uh, next golf year, the best thing I think you can do is just stretching, right? And, and maybe doing some push-ups here. They're just getting a little bit stronger because – Let's just say you do a little bit of stretching, get a little stronger. You go out in your next round. Let's say you hit you hit your driver just even five yards further. I mean, that's going to make a huge difference over the course of the entire year. You might save a couple of shots here or there. It's going to make golf so much more fun. So, along with the mirror work, Sam, I think just trying to make make your game, make your body. Even you should always try to make your body healthier, but making it more into golf shape. I think it's going to prove uh, dividends over the course of the next couple of years. And uh, if, if the weather stays the way it is, you could stretch throughout the whole summer or uh, throughout the whole winter. If you're committed to it, you are going to see results from this work. And that's what I want people listening to realize. You're going to get uh, the results you get back are going to be what you put in. So it's up to each individual and how far they want to go with that. Step. No doubt about it. One that really pops to my mind that I really worked on in between high school and college that winter time was I would put my golf bag inside the house on my left butt cheek and and take it back and then go back down to impact position and try to keep my left butt cheek on that golf bag and it keeps you from thrusting, right? And it's just slow-mo swings. You don't even really need a golf club to do it. Um, but it's a, it's little simple drills like that that I'm sure you can look up on YouTube. But little things like that that can really help you and, and give you, you know, the things that you need in, into the next golf season, right, Tita? It just, it, it's one of those things that I feel like is really slept on with especially amateur golfers where they'll get out there and whatever in, in May or April and be like, wow, I, I have no feel whatsoever. Just doing little things to kind of, you know, get your golf season started off right next year. Well, and the the drill you mentioned earlier with uh, keeping your, your ass on the bag, that, that's an extremely great drill because I think the majority of amateurs I see, if, it, if it's not a problem with setup, which I would say probably 80 to 90% of problems are, have to do with setup, but, but generally if someone messes up from there, it has to do with the hips. Like you mentioned, the, the, the butt line isn't staying on the correct path and it's moving more, that your hips are moving more towards the ball as they are towards turning. And one of the things I mentioned about stretching earlier is so important is I feel like on half of those situations, individuals' hips just aren't flexible and strong enough to hold that position because you're having to swing the club so fast and you have to keep your core so engaged throughout the whole swing that if you're not able to stay low in terms of the left, the only way the body can move is out forward and to the right. So it's, it's an extremely big problem, and if you can do that drill – then, then that is going to help big time. But I feel like a lot of people will do that and they'll start to feel 
some tightness and some pain in their lower back and their hips and say, man, I just can't do this. And, and for anyone who does feel that, go back to the stretching as I talked about. Just even, even go to YouTube and look up some TPI stretches that you could do. They're going to prove extreme dividends, especially in that area of your body because a lot of people listen to the podcast, you know, work a nine-to-five job so they're sitting at their desk or they're in school sitting all the time. That really tightens those hips up, hips, those hips up a lot and doesn't allow you to turn. So if anyone does, I've, I encourage every single person to do the drill you just mentioned, Sam. And for anyone who does it and feels like that they can't get all the way through it, look up some of those hips and core stretches, and I guarantee you you'll be able to do the drill a lot better going forward. No doubt about it. And then as far as short game, T-Dub, one thing that I did a whole lot in college, obviously going to college in Kansas City, there wasn't much outside practice, especially in the wintertime. And a lot of these putting mats, T-Dub, are like seven feet long, eight feet long. And I would get on these putting mats, T-Dub, and I would go to three feet, four feet, and try to make 50 in a row from three feet and 100, you know, not in a row from four feet. And and I feel like a lot of people get on these putting mats and just hit seven footers the whole time when really they need to be working on their shorter putts. Well, the thing you mentioned there too, Sam, is extremely important. Now, you have to be able to implement some type of pressure in your practice sessions, right? Because if you step up there and you just, you know, hit how many ever putts you want until you feel like you're done, you're not going to really get much benefit from that. Um, I mean, maybe if you do it for eight hours a day, you will. But there's going to be so much pressure on even Start off at whatever number you can. If it's start at three feet and go to four feet and make five, make five of those in a row, if, if that's the most you can do. Do ten in a row. And then the main thing that you want to do is you want to increase that number every day, right? So if you start off, you're going to make ten three-footers in a row. Okay, well, the next day you need to do 12. Then the next day do 14. The next day do 16. And just keep making it ever such more. And the, the main thing I like about that is you have to make them all in a row. So if you make, if you're supposed to make 10 and, and you miss on the ninth one, well, then you have to start all over and do it again. And I promise you, for anyone who doesn't done this type of drill, you get on your last few amount of putts, you're, you're going to feel some pressure. And, and that's the type of pressure you'll have on a golf course when you're playing with your buddies for five bucks or if you're in your club championship or if you're playing some, some big time tournament. That's the only way that you're going to be able to replicate that type of, of pressure, especially in the cold months when you're not able to play much. So absolutely agree, Sam. I think that's absolutely pivotal to be able to work on those shorter putts in particular because you're going to have so much more, you're going to have a lot more three and four footers of course of a calendar year than you are seven footers. And, and yes, you need to be able to make those seven footers. You're getting a lot of strokes you can do that, but you're going to have so many of those shorter putts. I feel like that needs to be a lot more focal point than those seven footers, as you mentioned earlier. So no doubt about it. Everybody stay warm out there, especially in Oklahoma. Please go visit at the 73rd hole on Twitter and at 73rd hole on Instagram and go visit our friends at golfoklahoma.org. Kim McLeod and Chris Swafford doing a great job. Hit the subscribe button on Apple and Spotify. T-Dub, thank you so much. We will be back on Wednesday for our preview. T-Dub, thank you. This has been the 73rd hole, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. Golf Oklahoma.